Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everyone. It's the Crypto Lark. I'm very excited to get a chance to sit down with Alex from Gods Unchained, a very fascinating and fun game that is currently beta testing on ethereum mm-hmm. and soon coming to uh you know a public blockchain near you so alex how's it going man doing really well doing really well um so does unchained for those who don't know uh we're currently the the number one tcg on ethereum uh we're in the middle of our both our pre-sale and our sort of closed beta test uh so far we have um, almost but not quite four million cards that have been sold uh, we've had tens of thousands of games uh, played in our beta. Every card in Gods Unchained uh, is an ERC721 non-fungible token. Uh, and so users can trade those on secondary markets. Uh, and we're looking to continue our sort of rollout and expansion uh, over the course of this year, uh, looking to a sort of a full, fully public and fully mainstream launch towards the end of the year. Gods Unchained, I remember... Um from the team email me ages back and like hey we're doing this cool game and i was like yeah i'll look into that because it was right around the time actually that i was trying to find games yeah. things that were interesting on yeah. uh, on the blockchain and my search for that basically turned up a whole bunch of gambling dApps which i'm not into gambling and a whole bunch yeah. of i don't know prediction markets i'm not in prediction markets they're just another vague form of gambling and and all this different stuff i was like well where's where are the actual good games at? It's no wonder no one is using decentralized applications because everything sucks the best games we have right now are like 1980s arcade games like why would anyone want to play that stuff i mean it's yeah. crazy right but when i saw uh, gods unchained and then of course We've seen some other things coming out, like um, you have like uh, the Age of Rust and um, Neon District and stuff, and those look like legitimately cool games. But having been a Magic the Gathering nerd back when I was a teenager, yeah. I-, I looked at what you guys are building at Gods Unchained. I thought, well, that's that's kind of fun. And I don't even play games anymore. I haven't played games in years, but I- I'm really enthusiastic about this nexus that we're seeing of blockchain and gaming coming together in in a really big way and so it's super exciting you guys have already sold like four million cards i've got um i don't know about like a bunch of packs spent a couple of ethereum yeah. back in the day and bought some packs and they're they're sitting there i haven't really done anything with them since then but i you know i haven't been one of the beta testers but uh it's definitely cool to see what you guys are doing now in terms of actually playing the game and actually using the blockchain actually having these blockchain cards can you explain how that works kind of what are the details of these cards are on the blockchain. So what? Yeah. So uh, one of the one of the really interesting things in crypto gaming is exactly what you talked about before, right? The, the idea that most of the games that are coming out look like 1980s arcade games. They are you know very sort of clunky with their mechanics. They don't seem to do very much. They're mainly on the web. Uh, and the primary reason for that is that uh, there are a bunch of different ways you can implement gameplay mechanics, right? So either you can make every single action that happens in the game sort of take place uh, inside a smart contract. Right, so that you know, say I'm playing a battle game, or whatever, and when I attack, it sends a transaction. When I attack my opponent, it sends the transaction. Right, and that and that works, and that's you know fully decentralized and all that stuff. Um, unfortunately, that means that you can only really do one thing every minute. 
which is not a particularly great uh, user experience uh, and also lends itself and you need to be in the browser and you know all, all the, those sort of limitations uh, means exactly why those games are produced right uh, and then we have the, the sort of the next attempt at, at, at solving this issue uh, is you know using a bunch of different sort of layer two solutions so either using using things like state channels uh, using things like side chains uh, there are a bunch of different sort of technical solutions which work to a varying degree. Um, to, uh, and so what, what we feel was that we initially tried uh, using a state channel approach uh, and so that every action that took place in the game would happen off chain, uh, but then eventually users could commit back on chain, if that makes sense, right? So if you had an issue with the game then and you didn't trust your opponent or something like that, then you could uh, commit back on chain and resolve the issue that way, okay? Uh, and that works really well for some games, uh, and so you know we built we built out like a, a sort of an MVP of this for for, very, for a couple of very simple games, uh, but unfortunately what we realised uh, was that firstly we couldn't get the user experience we wanted uh, because users were having to sign transactions in between every action that they took in the game, so every time they played a card and things like that, they'd have to sign a string, uh, and secondly uh, the state transitions that we wanted to make. Uh, were just way too complex, right? So when you're talking about a game like Noughts and Crosses, going from you know one state of the board to the next state of the board, it's just you know putting a new symbol in a box. Uh, when you're playing a card game which has more than 800 cards at last count, and all those cards can interact with each other in effectively infinite ways, mm. encoding one state transition to another either means you have to use incredibly tiny slices, more signing, or you have to try to encode all of it in one, uh, which is just not possible with current uh, sort of limits of the chain. Uh, and things like side chains have also been tried and things like that are sort of just starting to work. Uh, but unfortunately those are like also quite centralized um, because essentially they rely on one, one main block producer doing uh, one thing and that's how the game works. Uh, so what we chose to do was that we, we chose to uh, sort of segregate what users, what we thought users really wanted, which was the ability to own their cards, to trade them freely and to engage in behavior based on, on markets uh, from the actual gameplay of the game, right? So the actual gameplay of the game, it doesn't run on the blockchain. It's, it is centralized in that regard, so it runs on our servers. Uh, and that's why you, we get the ability to have a Unity executable. We have full VFX. We, we're able to do you know, awesome sound effects and make it look, uh, we think it, it currently look, it, it looks like a AAA game, right? It, it, you know, the gameplay looks amazing. Everyone who hasn't checked out the trailer should check it out because it really is fantastic, right? Uh, and so, and, and that's what we do. Uh, but we also give users the, uh, the opportunity. So one of the things that we're working towards is users being able to sort of record statistics about their cards and things like that based on, you know, how many matches have I won? Was this card owned by PewDiePie or someone like that? Mm. And be able to record that data and sign it back on chain, right? And so one of the things that we're setting up is something we call uh, inscription, uh, which I won't get into too much detail about. But essentially, it's a way of uh, letting us attest to your success in the game and using that success to essentially uh, mean that your cards over time are able to keep increasing uh, stats and things like that. And you can put that back on the blockchain exactly when and if you want to, right? Uh, and in addition to that, uh, we're looking at ways for, for to have users, I won't go into too much detail about uh, progression systems and things like that, but we're looking for really cool ways for users to earn cards by playing the game. And so that the more that you play, and in particular, the more that you play successfully, the more likely you are to receive uh, rewards, which get value because other people are, are going for the same stuff. Yeah, so that, that's how we use the blockchain. Um, and we think that users have responded really positively to that so far. I think it's a really great use of blockchain technology, to be honest, because th this is solving a lot of the interesting problems that, um, you know, other games have experienced in the past. I mean, this is provable scarcity, right? If there's only yep. 
three of a certain card, if they're that rare, then, well, it's provable that there's only three of them. We know exactly how many are in existence and where yeah, they yeah, are. Yeah, definitely. Right? And we also yeah, well, know, yeah. the interesting thing, too, is we also know, like you're saying, well, when they were used, right? Were they used in, like, the grand tournament? Is this is this the card that was used yeah. for the, the winning stroke of, you know, defeating the other dude in the big tournament? That can be recorded. That's provable. And then that, as a collector's item becomes so much more valuable so much rarer yeah yeah and, and that uh, so one of the ways that we like to talk about this um is we see uh Gozlan chain as being sort of the first hybrid physical and, and digital tcg right uh so you played magic back in the day uh we think that uh games like uh the reason that digital tcgs like hearthstone took off were that people really enjoyed the properties of having things on their computer right you can take it anywhere you don't have to worry about protecting your collection it's super easy to get new cards or to like you know if you if you want to increase your collection and things like that you can play with anyone anywhere in the world you don't have to wait until you can find a particular person to play a match right all that <laughs> yeah, stuff which absolutely. makes magic really like it's like fun to collect but if you actually want to play the cards consistently you, you, you know you have to you have to have a group of friends who are, who are really interested in it right and you can you have to go and meet up with them um and so but so, so all those things are really great about digital tcgs but to get to achieve that what they did was they just took out some of the bits which made magic really fun right which was you know collecting cards owning rare cards being able to like trade them with your friends doing what you wanted with them all that sort of properties that are only possible in physical tcgs right uh, and so we see gods unchained as the first uh, sort of truly hybrid way of getting all the benefits of those digital tcgs merged in with uh, some of the more uh, like like the, the amazing properties of physical cards and having ownership over your own collection. Yeah. It, it, that's it. It's ownership over your own collection. And I think for anyone who might have played Magic back in the day, you can remember like, okay, once you understood the value behind the cards, right? And that you know, the rare cards could be worth a lot of money. You'd get a pack and it'd open up and like, okay, straight into the sleeve, straight into the, the bigger plastic protector yeah. sleeve. You don't want to even touch it, you know? Like, I don't even want to play with this card because then it's going to lose mm. its value. And... The amazing thing about NFTs, these non-fungible tokens, is they don't they don't get worn, right? Yeah. You can play with them as many times as you want, and actually they only gain more history and more value, not decrease in value because they start getting worn around the edges or you spill coffee on it or something like this. And yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and that's and that's pretty cool. Now, can can I modify? Is there any kind of possibility for modifying? Like, let's say that I don't know, I, I want to. You know, I, I, I win this tournament and I, I, can I sign the card, for example, or something like that? Is, there, is it possible to do those kind of modifications at any level? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we're working on is both uh, having, so users already have the ability to sort of, um, we're, we're building this out at the moment. We've, we've got it, but we haven't released it. Uh, users have the ability to sign cards and things like that. And so you can attest, hey, you know, this uh, influencer signed my card and that makes it uh, valuable in some regard. And we're also working on ways to make those signatures scarce, right? Because it's not that interesting if PewDiePie can sign a billion cards and oh, then man. they're all signed, right? <laughs> but if if you're able to say that, you know, this, this is from a special, you know, uh, collection of signatures or that this was done after, like, you know, upon winning a particular tournament, this person was able to sign 10 cards or, or something like that. And suddenly those signatures, which we're planning on visualizing in game, you know, coming up as, as a card gets played, you can sort of see it across the screen and all that sort of stuff. Um, once you can sort of have some properties about scarcity around uh, signing of NFTs, I think that makes it an even more exciting proposition. Yeah, and there's, of course, the ability to do things like 
uh, special cards for a tournament, right? Like, okay, we're yeah, going to have absolutely. a big tournament. We're going to get, you know, issue out 10 dragons, right? And the 10 dragons will be, go to the winners of the, the top 10 winners of the tournament. And like, they'll have that, that branding on it from that tournament so that, yeah. that, that company gets that sort of perpetual uh, brand awareness of their tournament and all these different things come into NFTs, which is why I get so excited about blockchain and gaming. Yeah. Because the, the, the use case potential of creating real value across these gaming ecosystems is massive. And now I wanted to get into something because you guys, uh, you've been working on some different technological uh, implementations here that are kind of working to solve some of the issues that we see. Because, you know, if I want to buy a bunch of packs, well, then, you know, I've got all these different transactions and gas fees and stuff happening. And you've got currently got, you know, you're approaching uh, a million, um, I know it's just say four million cards now. The 4 million cards have already been sold approximately, right? Yeah. So that means that there's 4 million non-fungible tokens. Yep. Basically, that's a lot of NFTs, right? And so yep. actually scaling all those, I mean, what are kind of some of the problems that you've already encountered as you're building this out around dealing with all these different NFTs with selling these packs of cards to people? Yeah, well, uh, so when we launched uh, Gods Unchained, you know, when we made our, all our announcements about it and we started selling cards, uh, that was sort of at the, at the end of a month. Uh, in which, uh, so essentially, whenever someone um, sends a transaction on Ethereum, uh, they're asked to pay a fee based on how much uh, sort of computation or like how, how hard the calculations are or how much data to the store and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and th that fee sort of goes up based on a sort of a, a market effect, right? So if more people want to use the limited capacity of the network, then they have to compete for it. So they have to, their, their fee becomes higher and higher and higher. Okay. And at the month where we launched it, um, that fee was a, about a hundred guay, right? It was the sort of the, the average fast confirming transaction, right? So for context, that's about a hundred times more than maybe the historical average, just at, like somewhere between one and two. Uh, and essentially it just made it a, a pretty absurdly uh, expensive proposition to buy cards, right? So if you were going to buy 50 cards, for example, right? It would have cost you, uh, we're creating the NFTs up front and it would have cost you about $400 in fees, right? And it would have cost you about $10 for the cards. Um, so obviously having a, sort of a, <laughs> a fee, ra fee ratio to the price ratio of that doesn't really work for our yeah. users, right? It makes it almost impossible. I mean, we can't sell cards. Users can't buy cards. Like, I mean, who, who out there is, is going to be able to, to like cop that fee when two weeks later the price might be, uh, the gas price might go all the way back down and suddenly... Uh, you know, it's one way again, and they wasted four hundred dollars, right? Uh, it's right. just not something that we saw working out for our users. Uh, and so, what we did was we um, thought about what what we wanted our users to actually do, right? So, really, there were three things: there was users can purchase packs, uh, users can open the packs and sort of see the cards that they get out of the packs, uh, and thirdly and finally, users can can trade the cards, right? And so, those are the sort of the three, uh, or like the cards are in the correct format to be traded. And so those are the three things. And we were bundling them all together at the time of purchase. Right? And what we realized was that users actually didn't uh, want to, or, or I mean, they couldn't, right? Um, trade, trade the cards instantly upon sort of buying, uh, buying the packs. Uh, and they didn't need them to be in that form. All they needed to do was be able to uh, buy the cards and open them, right? Uh, but it was actually that third step, the putting, making them sort of into the, the exact correct format for them to be traded and things like that, which was costing our users the vast majority of the gas that they were spending, right? And so we came up with a system uh, called activation, uh, which we which sort of we, we developed and essentially it works on the principle of segregating the amount of gas that you pay at the time of purchase 
right? The action which creates the cards uh, from the action which makes the cards into the into the tradable format, right? And so users can choose when they do one and they can choose when they do the other, right? And so if you want to, and the first one is much cheaper. So if the gas price is really high and you wanted to purchase cards, then you could do that. And then you could wait until the gas price came down to make it a sound economic decision for you to activate them, right? And for you to turn them into those sort of fully fledged ERC721s, non-fungible tokens, right? And so we think that this is just a generally good principle, right? That uh, in, in systems like this, uh, users should be able to, to have a lot more flexibility about the way that they interact with these things. And because it makes it a much more of a, a like a, a market decision, right? If you know, okay, I've got to pay a, a, a slight fee to, to activate each card, then my decision to sell the card, just I can instantly factor that profit decision in, right? So I can say, well, I've got this amazing card, so it doesn't matter if I pay an extra one or two cents uh, at the time of, of trading, uh, because I because I like because I know it's an amazing card. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know that it's an amazing card straight up, then you might feel pretty aggrieved that we we're making you pay uh, for just like a, a basic common card, but you weren't going to trade anyway. If you were if we were making you pay for that upfront, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's that's where we got to. Uh, you following me so far? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, and so and that that worked really well uh, for a while. Uh, but there, the first issues that we ran into here was that users there there was no granularity about this system, right? So that process of activation, right? When you turn it from just like being, and so we, you could, after you purchased, you could wait two minutes and you could see your cards, you could open the packs, they'd be in your inventory, right? But they wouldn't yet be fully fledged uh, NFTs. And the process for converting them into them uh, was that you had to activate them in blocks of 50 at a time, right? And so we didn't have any granularity. It just had to be like chunks of 50, right? And if you bought 2000 cards, it wasn't just, you could pick which 50 you wanted to activate. You had to start at 2000 and then go to 1950 and then go for each consecutive right. block all the way down to zero, right? So if your card was in the very last block, you had to activate every other card in the purchase, right? And this was just a, a function of the way that the system had been built, right? The system um, was like a, a fairly audacious attempt at, at trying to solve this problem, but it didn't get it perfectly right the first time, okay? Uh, so the next thing we tried uh, was adjusting that system so that each card could be activated individually that makes sense. So we, we stored a big, long sort of, uh, you know, uh, an array of sort of every, every card gets a bit in the array. So the smallest possible you know, one or zero, is it activated? Is it not activated? And then when a user activated it, we just flip the bit, right? And so that way users now could activate every single card uh, in the purchase one at a time, right? And so it fixed that issue of granularity and it helped users make better price decisions about whether or not they should activate right now, okay? Um, but we had another problem, right? <laughs> it's probably the one that you, you thought of straight away, Lark, and it's probably the one that, uh, people watching this will think of straight away, which is that sounds really, really confusing. Um, if users aren't going to be able to see those NFTs, uh, in external marketplaces or external wallets straight away, uh, they're going to ask questions, you know, like what's happened to my cards or mm -hmm. they're going to be they're like the, the whole process requires a lot of explanation from us. Even if it might eventually, even if it's actually good for our users, it's really hard uh, for people who are new to the crypto space or who aren't very attuned into our messaging about it to to work into this construct, right? Because it, it it really it's got genuinely... it's got to be as easy as possible, right? You have to assume that right it, whoever's like, coming I mean, in has zero us, knowledge yeah. just wants to play a game. Yeah, uh, like imagine if you, you know, if if your your listeners might might have found what I just said like a, a tiny bit confusing, but uh, imagine how how much more confusing that would be for someone who has no experience with crypto, right? And that's mm -hmm. the audience that we eventually want to be targeting, right? So it just doesn't work, okay? Uh, and so what we decided to do uh, was to sort of 
reinterrogate our fundamental assumptions about building a system like this, right? And so we came up with um, a sort of a, an implementation of, so ERC721 is an interface. It's a standard which says you must implement, you know, it's a couple of events, it's a couple of functions. So for instance, whenever a card is created, you have to emit a transfer event, right? That's in, in the specification mm -hmm. uh, because that's how external marketplaces, external wallets and things like that, that's how they know there's a new card which I should keep track of and show in my user's inventory and all that all that sort of stuff, right? That's that's how they work. Um, and so, but our current cards weren't compliant with any, that interface until you activated them, okay? Uh, and so what we did was we re-implemented uh, ERC721. So we made a, a contract which implements all those functions, but which implemented them in such a way as it included activation, but under the hood, right? Mm. So when you created the cards, it would emit all the correct events, all the data would be stored. And so we'll, we'll put out a blog post which explains the details of how all this stuff works. But essentially what it meant was that the entire process of activation was still there, right? So you still had all the benefits of it. So you could you could create cards without worrying about the gas price. And then you'd have to, and you you do what, whatever you need to do at the time of trading, right? So you still had those huge benefits that I talked about earlier. But now users had absolutely no exposure to the concept, right? It was all wrapped within the contract. It was all wrapped within the, the normal flow of, they create me some cards and then I transfer the cards, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're if you're a basic user, you have you don't even need to know about activation, right? All you'll know is that hey, you were able to create a whole bunch of NFTs uh, for me based on you know, based on the purchase that I sent, and then when I traded them, uh, sort of it they they just were traded naturally, right? Yeah, it just, uh, it so, just worked, right? The funny thing is, is that when yeah, we, so, when yeah. we get to the right stage. People aren't even going to be saying, "Oh, I bought some NFTs." They're just going to, "I bought some cards." They won't even think like, "Oh, this is a non-fungible token, uh, an ERC seven two one standard." Like none of that stuff's going to be in the, in the same way. People who play Fortnite have no idea about the underlying infrastructure of how the game is made, right? Exactly. It's just a, um, it's it's impossible to scale in terms of the, the users that we want to be attracting to ecosystems like this uh, if we're going to be requiring users to have this big sort of technical knowledge base. Uh, and so this is, and this is not. I mean. Solving the, the technical knowledge base required to, to understand NFTs and to understand their interaction with Ethereum is not a, a solved problem by any means, right? Uh, we're working on a bunch of different ways that we can make this whole experience much easier for our users. Uh, but this was one of the, the core experiences that our users found really challenging. Uh, and it's one of the ones which we, uh, we think that we've done a really good job uh, at solving, right? Uh, and so uh, for some context, so with the, the original sort of the standard NFT implementation, right? Uh, it's possible to create between 50 and 100 NFTs in a single transaction, right? And that will sort of max out the block gas limit, right? So it might take a, it'll take a while for your transaction to be confirmed. It'll cost you a fair bit of um, a fair bit of money, and it will cost you even more money if the gas price is really high, right? Between 50 and 100. Okay. Using this system, not only will we be able to sort of hide uh, lots of that complexity from users, but we were actually able to to create uh, 3,900. In one transaction, right? And so users were able to buy essentially, or able to, and they, and they can be created through any process. We wouldn't have to be buying um, about eighty times more NFTs than they otherwise uh, would have been able to, right? And so not only was it a big win for us on the, you know, the user experience and the sort of knowledge uh, required to participate in the ecosystem front, it was also a huge win for us in terms of what we were actually able to to do as far as optimizing the contract. For the types of behaviors which we which users were actually engaging in which was you know buying lots of cards and transferring in bulk and all those sorts of things yeah it's really interesting because you're at the forefront of 
basically developing what's possible on Ethereum, right? And we have these new token standards, and and here you are. I mean, you're you're paving the path in a really interesting way because what you guys are doing, what you're experiencing, I mean, that's going to inform even more people to who are other developer teams who are coming into this situation and who are building games. And so we're just going to keep yep. getting even better games and more games. And it's going to be really cool to see this ecosystem expanding out. And so, you know, it's definitely cool to see what you guys are doing in terms of actually addressing these technological problems and mm -hmm. finding ways to make it work so that we can actually invite the next millions of people yeah. into the crypto ecosystem and to do it in such a seamless way where they're just having fun. They're not thinking like, oh man, you know, my nonce and my, my gas fees yeah. and all this stuff, just boom, you're just doing it. You're just having fun. And that's, that's where it's got to come in. Mm, definitely. I mean, so I mean, gaming, we think is one of the, going to be the, one of the, the primary industries where we're able to get that early adoption. Uh, we think that people coming into crypto who already understand the concept of digital items and who already uh, appreciate that, uh, that sort of uh, part of the ecosystem and can can appreciate you know the value of digital things in general we think um, gaming is a great target but we also think uh that people won't play games if they're not fun right and people won't no, play games won't. if they don't understand and people <laughs> won't play games if they don't understand them right so we think that you can't just have um you know you can't just have sort of like blockchain or or you actually think the challenge is how can we have all of the benefits of the, of the blockchain uh, and also release a game which is really fun to play and which has you know amazing graphics and all that sort of stuff that's it. That's it. Alex, thanks so much for coming on and, and yeah. kind of telling us, you know, about what you guys have been doing over Gods Unchained and, of course, you know, how all these technological implementations kind of work and how mm. you're working to, to scale this game so we can actually get those people involved. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for having me on. For sure. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.